Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 303 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're back. I know, I know, I say that all the time. It's 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 just kind of a crutch at this point, but uh, it's the beginning of Cyclocross season. We had our first UCI weekend at Go Cross in Roanoke, Virginia. And the media pit is is ready to roll for the season. This is it. Now, I know we had some intermittent shows there with mountain biking and everything else throughout the off season, but this is it. We're getting started. The the traveling circus has already hit the road, and we're ready to go. So I'm gonna get right into the show with Bodie and with Zach after I tell you about the crew too from Hammerhead. So I. I I started riding a bike again. It's it's been really cool. I know I mentioned this on the on the last episode, but I've continued. And one of the things that I've been doing more of is just traveling with my bike. I took it down to uh, Roanoke with me. Uh, you know, Rochester and and uh, going to be going to Cincy and Indy and up to Wisconsin. And what I'm really looking forward to is is making some routes, loading them into the Karoo too, and just let it tell me where to go and and for me the the fun of that is especially if you have these longer roads excuse me longer routes that you're on these longer rides is uh i like to i, I like to break it down into those segments so i like to know that i have five miles until the next turn and then i can just work towards that so that 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 feature of it is is really great and the the crew too has advanced gps navigation you know along with the ability to see upcoming hills and and what your anticipated effort's going to be all all of these kind of base level things to me make it the ideal bike computer I do track power. I do track heart rate. Am I racing? No. Do I like data? Yes. And the Hammerhead Crew 2 gives me all of the data I need. If you order now, you too can track heart rate through a heart rate monitor that you don't have to pay for. All you have to do is put the heart rate monitor and the Crew 2 into your cart. And then when you check out, you'll enter the code CXRADIO, C-X-R-A-D-I-O. And then the heart rate monitor will be on us. You will not be charged for the heart rate monitor. So you get a the Karutu the heart rate monitor in your cart. Check out the code is CXRADIO and you are good to go. You may ask, where am I doing this? Well, I'll tell you, you're doing it at hammerhead.io. Hammerhead.io. Put the computer, the crew too, put the heart rate monitor, both of those in your cart. CX radio is the code. And then go ride your bike. Finally, it's been a while since we talked about this. Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. It's still out there. We're still going strong. It's your home for independent cycling media. You know, it, it encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses the podcast, such as the Slow Ride Podcast, Criterium Nation, Nowhere Fast, Grodio and cyclocross radio but also within that videos that i do on the wide angle podium youtube page those come under that same umbrella uh w- even even to the point that 
it it complements what Zach does at the CX Harris Bulletin. This is all kind of in the wide angle podium family and we'd love you to be a part of it go to wideangle.com hit the donate button become a member once you do that you'll be able to choose which shows you want to support we hope that you support cyclocross radio it helps us cover the sport the way that we know you want it to be covered it it, it allows us to hire Bodie to come out to races throughout the season and do video coverage and i know those are really popular videos so WideAnglePodium.com, hit donate, become a member, and please help support Cyclocross Radio. Okay, it's episode 303 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Zach, we got Bodie, we're talking about GoCross, the first race in the USCX series, and we're doing all of it right now. We're back for real this time. And we're back in the media pit. And, and, and Zach, I need an official ruling on this, but is cyclocross back as well? Bill, I think cyclocross is back. All caps, dot, dot, dot. It's back. I like this. You know, I, here's the thing. I, I know people are saying, hey, you haven't recorded an episode in a while. And, and yes, guilty as charged. We did some good mountain biking coverage, but, you know, Bodie decided he was a bike racer all of a sudden again and had to go out for training rides. So we couldn't like nail him down oh, in that season. But me. now it's, I am blaming it on you. Now it's cyclocross season again. And it's because we missed you and it's back. It's the media pit. And we're, we're, we got, you know, we didn't like burn out on the off season. We're coming in hot. No, Bill, are we ready to go? We're ready to go. Yes. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm excited to be back in the media pit. Um, I missed you guys. I enjoyed the mountain bike stuff. I didn't get to like tell you guys that I actually went and raced a mountain bike this summer. Oh. That was pretty fun. Do, uh, do you, you tell, tell, tell us about, tell us about your whip. My whip? Uh-huh. <laughs> what are you riding? <laughs> oh, I was riding my neighbor's wife's mountain bike. It was sick. Good, it was man. like 15 years old. Uh, Dual suspension? No, hard tail. Did it have disc brakes at least? How much travel? Yes, it had uh, travel. I couldn't tell you. 100 probably. I don't know. It was like, yeah, it was a Santa Cruz. Um, but I just... I. I learned something very important doing doing mountain, a mountain bike race because um, <clears throat> I did win <clears throat> my age category. Um, but because <laughs> I am old now, I'm in the 40s, um, after the race is over, I could barely get to the podium because my back froze up. Uh, it hurt so bad. I literally had to climb on the other gentlemen and like have them pull me up to the podium. But mountain biking is the hardest cycling sport. I've said it. They are the best and strongest athletes. I am 100% in that camp now. Now that I've experienced well, mountain biking. Are you going to do so, it again? I would like to. Follow-up um, question. Did you bring your neighbor's wife's bike yes. up to the podium as a podium bike? Of course not. I would never do that. Come on, Bill. Come on. I went to the Slow Ride Podcast School of Podium Etiquette. 
Um, okay. And you don't bring your bike. No, mountain bike is a little wishy-washy on that sometimes. Yeah, no, okay. none of that at our... Well, that's great. Uh, that's good to hear. But uh, I, I thought you were going to say that I've been golfing all summer, and that's why I couldn't come... Well, that's what I mean. I I didn't know if you wanted to get into that, but I love it. Like like golfing is the new golf for uh, for. I'm Bodhi. really looking at my calendar. I'm like, how am I going? I'm like, I'm, I'm embarking on a new hobby that takes up as much time as cycling. I'm like, how do I fit both? Because I'm not giving up cycling, guys. I'm still here cycling. I'm still riding a bike. Yeah. But how do I? Why don't you just give up golf, Zach? Zach. Zach, Zach. No. The only the only thing I want you to do, I want a spreadsheet, and I want the crux on one side of it and everything that you put into that. And I don't, did you get another bike too? Don't you have a new road I got bike? a couple years ago. The crux is the newest bike. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's one ledger, one side of the ledger. And then I want everything you're spending on golf. You can put like race regs and stuff in there. I just want a tally. I want to, I want a cycling versus golf financial. I will say tally. this to go play nine holes at my local course at twilight. It is $7. I am golfing with my dad's Whoa. golf clubs from 1980. I am um, using 20-year-old balls that I've had since I was in high school. Um, I have bought a new glove. It was 20 bucks for two. Um, so I think, the, yeah. <laughs> so right now. $7, $7, baby. Yeah. A cheap cyclocross race these days is $40. I know. It's crazy. Like, this is why I'm doing I can do it for so cheap. It's 10 minutes away. <laughs> That's only at your age, that's only 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and you golf two hours for nine holes. So, yeah. I'm sure so many people are so bummed right now about this podcast that we're talking about golf. Except for, I bet Tyler Cloutier is pretty excited. So, I, I'm going to go up to Arkansas. I'm going to ride mountain bikes. And I'm going to play golf with Tyler. Coming. That sounds amazing. That, that honestly sounds amazing. Zach, should we talk about uh, Vinton, Virginia? And... and- Go outside cross presented by Virginia's Blue Ridge. I don't even know if I can follow up that opening. I I, I was just here the whole time with my mouth agape, laughing. Uh, so I need a moment to compose myself. Okay, good. So we were back in Roanoke, or as I learned from my Lyft driver, he's like the Noke, and I was like, do they really call it the Noke? And he's like, sure, why not? <laughs> and I was like do you live here? He's like, no, I live in Lynchburg. I'm like, is it really the Noke? This was our conversation on my way from the airport to the, uh, to the race hotel. So I don't know, uh, but we're doing go cross. I think it's year five at the UCI level. If I'm not mistaken, like year seven, maybe cause they did it during the pandemic. There was a year that it was non UCI. Uh, and yeah, I did my first year last year. I really like this event. Frank Deal is one of the great dudes in cyclocross. He's such a huge supporter of everything. He puts on this race. I think he's really starting to get, I don't know, get his shine from it. You know, it's been at the UCI level. Last year, he got elevated to the USCX level. It's got a C1. Great to see, you know, someone who's just been grinding. I remember when I interviewed him when he first started, I'm like, why are you doing this? He's like, I love cross. And it's like, uh, you love to see that. So, and I like this course. Uh, I think it's pretty challenging. Uh, It's certainly not flat. Um, you know, I think you talk about it, especially for the men's race, um, that it is kind of, uh, you know, it's got a lot of off camber. It is kind of pretty open, so it's good, you know, nothing too tight or whatever, but it's got, got a lot of hills. We're in the Blue Ridge Mountain foothills. You can see the mountains in the background. Really nice. Very pretty. Um, so, yeah, I like this event. Stoked to be back for year two. So, uh, uh, about the course, 
Michael. It it is a challenging course, but but before we get to that, I you know Zach Zach is pretty attuned to a lot of things, so he's not easily shocked or surprised. Can I tell you what? And this is going back to to my experience with the course. the The biggest shock that that Zach had, I think, of the whole weekend happened probably right right as he was leaving the course for the last yes, time. Yes, I, 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 Bill's, you know, sixty eight centimeter bike was there. Uh, <laughs> he had the forty millimeter gravel kings or something or other on it. Yes. You know, gravel tires. Uh, I mean, I love to see it, Bill. I love that you're getting back Did into you riding. Race? I love when I see you riding. So tell us about it. Tell us about it. No, I didn't race. I did like two laps of this course and it was like so damn hard. I will tell you that I could have done it fine on those gravel tires because it's just a lot of grass. It wasn't raining on that, you know, it was before the, the rain hit. But it's, it is, I, I don't know if it comes through on TV but this course has zero recovery. I mean, it is just punchy and climby, and there's no section that you're just able to sort of roll through and take a couple breaths. You know, probably the the ironic thing, and I think it's truly ironic, is that the one place you could recover on this course was the sand. Oh, in- because the interesting. Sand, the, the sand was so hard packed, especially, and day especially on day yeah. two, it was downhill. And you could just like cruise through it. It was it was no problem. You know they didn't they didn't in the past they've had, had they had a uh, tractor out there and they were tilling it between races and they didn't do that this year. So it was it was kind of a non factor. They didn't rake it. They did. I thought they did between the men's and the women's. No. If they did, it didn't take long. Like I don't. Oh. I didn't see anybody. There was. I didn't see anybody dismounting. You know, maybe in some of the in the women's race. Races. I think Caroline Monty did dismount on the first lap. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there seemed to be nothing. So I, the one thing I noticed, they were, in the men's race, they were sitting up to that start-finish, which is interesting to see that because that is, I'm so never being to the course, so used to that start-finish being where the sprints happen. So it was kind of interesting to see them sort of pause there and uh, take their gels, which is a new thing. Everybody's start, so there was ah. a little bit of a downhill uh, into that. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's a right. And then it goes into a little bit of a uphill grade when you cross the finish line. So, uh, and Frank can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the debate from year to year on us UCI officials is like, is this a downhill finish? I don't think it technically is, but last year, they were going back and forth with the UCI official and ended up reversing it and going in the other direction. And you're actually ending all the way down at where the starting grid is this year. And I, um, I think the way that they, you know, they've evolved this course every year. I, I, I complain that it's, it looks the same every year because a lot of parts are. And when you're trying to shoot this course, you're like, try to come up with something creative. And it's like, you can get good shots, but you're only going to get so creative after shooting at 20 different races but what they did this year is they put that hill section right before the finish and that that in that setup is kind of new on that side of the schoolhouse hill so as a spectator it was cool because you could actually stand and watch 
everything develop in the finish and then see them come home and sprint where in the past they would have just been like shooting out of the walking path through the woods, like where the planks were make a right turn and zoop, zip home mm. for the sprint. And it was just, they just kind of appeared out of, out of nowhere and, and were sprinting for it. So this, I think that it gave the opportunity for the in-venue announcers who did an awesome job, Bill Elliston, Chris Bennett, uh, to to really build up the race and call a race instead of just sort of guessing who was going to come out ahead. And it also, you know, that we'll talk about, it, it, it set up a really interesting sprint before the sprint. And, you know, it, it, Zach and I were talking about before, you know, I put it into my uh, course preview with GCN, which I did with Caleb. And, you know, sigh of relief. It's one of those things that actually came came to fruition and played out exactly how we, how we thought it was like, you know, for one, one of those few times we actually called something right that, that the, it was going to be four turns, five turns before the finish that if you got there first, you were going to win the race. And that's pretty much how it played out for the. Yeah. I ran into bill. We reunited on, on that Hill and after exchanging a high five and some pleasantries, Bill's like, you see that over there. It's like, that's the finish before the finish. That was like the first thing he said to me. We hadn't seen each other in like nine months or whatever. And it was like, until he played out. I mean, it played perfectly into, you know, if you read our race reports over at the bulletin, that's really the story. Everyone knew it. Literally everyone uh, at the venue knew it. So, yeah, I think there was a lot to like about this course. There was the opening climb that really opened, call it Andrew Strohmeyer Hill, uh, the opening climb, you know. But I, I was telling, I got a ride back to... Uh, my hotel on Sunday from Chris Bennett, who was one of the announcers. And uh, hopefully we get everything right. He was informing me that often he finds our opinions are wrong and he finds himself yelling at his radio. So hopefully we can start off the the season with some bad takes. Uh, They'll really annoy Chris. Um, But I was telling him that I really like it. Uh, You know, if I was announcing this is a venue I would announce at because you can see a lot of the course. Like, you know, when I was announcing races, if you stuck me somewhere where I could only see the start finish, I, I said, no, I'm just like, I'm not doing this. Like not just reading off names. And I think it really gave them the ability to tell the story of the race. And you just knew as a spectator, what was going on elsewhere. It's like you had a TV cause they just did a very good job narrating the race. They weren't putzing around. Um, and there were just lots of opportunities to see the course. And, you know, uh, I think Bill, you had a great video that's up at the wide angle podium YouTube channel that you were able to we're standing at the finish, but we could see the finish before the finish. And it was really awesome uh, to have that. And I think it just speaks to what we've said a lot, I think a few years ago when Bill did the film, the whole Charm City race, that a venue like this makes for good spectating. And I really appreciated that. And I think they did some nice job with things. The planks weren't buried in some shadows. They were this uphill over the flyover. You know, you got to see them. If you were at that spot multiple times, loop back towards the flyover. Uh, so I just think that they did a lot of things really well. Um, my only complaint, which I told Frank, they put the porta potties right behind the finish, and it was just it was unavoidable. I couldn't even post a post up photo of Rochette from day two because it was just like porta like, and it, and they were behind the flyover too. And I was like, Frank, two things. Just put a truck, put anything, put your sponsor's truck. There was a truck next to it. Just pull the truck in front of the porta potties for, for, for the love of God. So that would be, that's my, literally my only complaint uh, from otherwise uh, a great venue, a great course uh, that, you know, that they did with it. You got to make those photo, photo opportunities. Cause right. Those photographers are going to 
get those iconic shots and and make your venue known. That just reminds me of got it. I think it's 2019 at World Cup Waterloo where they cut a hole in the hedges. Do you guys remember there was a hole cut in the hedge and you could shoot through the hole and frame the rider? And I took that shot and the the course designer is like, yeah, I did that for you. And I was like, amazing. Like, that's great. Um, watching this race, I've, I've only watched this race and I was sort of mentioning on the, in this, in the bulletin that I, I was having a hard time following the women's race on day two. Um, I had this idea and especially for USCX, maybe American broadcasters who rely a lot on the drone to get that coverage because we don't have the budget to have more cameras. What if this is this maybe idea you hate? What if there are markings on the ground that are telling the viewer like you are 300 meters or you are half a K from the finish or this is school hill. This is, you know, like this way where you're looking down on the course and you're seeing where you're located gives the viewer an idea of where they're at, how close they are to the finish. Obviously, you can eventually learn these things by watching these broadcasts. But like with the Belgian race, we see the same shot every year. We know the venue with something like go cross and the drones things, angles are changing a bit. So that was my brilliant idea during the broadcast. I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's something that's probably, you know, I, I don't know how much money that costs to implement something like, I mean, I think you can do it analog, but I'm thinking even like the digital way, yeah. like you look at a, an NFL game now, everything right. that, like the field could just be a blank canvas and all of the first down markers, all of the, you know, everything that is on your screen is all generated, right? So one of the things that you have already is you have riders with chips. So you already have a digital signature for every rider who's on the course. So that's one thing that, when technology catches up, you could do where you could actually have a call out of riders on there. So you know who you were looking at, even if it was that drone shot. The second thing you could do just from that same sort of digital signifiers, I think you could do what you're talking about and they could do it digitally. Like this is, you know, you could do it by turns. You could like do a- it by whatever you want to call it. This is, you know, you could have on that hill. It could say, you know, schoolhouse hill or whatever. Uh, you could have, um, fat tire full send off camber and, 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 and mark all of those things. You could mark the, you know, you have those two riders like they do in F1 where it's like how many meters the one car is behind the other car. You could, you could do it like that. And I, I think that that's, that is something, Michael, I love this idea that, that could be explored. Like maybe if we've reached it, you know, budget-wise, where we're going on, how many cameras we're going to have, where their placements are going to be in the operators, the investment in something like that could be pretty awesome to really tell the story of of the race. It's it's something, you know, I mean, we went back and forth in the Slack where we're, you know, saying this isn't as, that, that we, meaning Zach, Elizabeth and I were critical of the Discovery mountain bike coverage, and Josh, I'm not, I'm not bagging on you. I think, you know, I, I think the points that you were making were fine, but it, it looked like, you know, at first comparing that to what this is and saying this is much worse. It's like, well, this is on a different planet. Like this isn't Discovery money that's doing this. But the one thing in that mountain bike coverage that we were critical of 
is that Red Bull did such a good job telling the story through digital assets, through graphics, through you know letting you know what the story of the race is without just showing you the pictures of the race. And if that's something that we can improve on and bring into cyclocross across the board and like these broadcasts, I think that'd be awesome. I think that's a I think that's a great idea. I have an idea. If it's it's called Schoolhouse Hill because it's there's a that's a school. Yep, up it's there. pretty 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 complicated. Okay, it's so, not a house Frank, though. It's not a schoolhouse. Next- it's really just School Hill. But School Hill just it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. You got to have the three. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Frank, next year, get the kids, give them some sort of credit to sort of build. They can, they can use paper. They can make giant signs that line the course. That can be their public service. That can be their extracurricular activity. This is, this is how you bring... This is how you get labor for free is what I'm saying if your budget's not big enough. Uh, but also provide an experience for the children. Look at this. We got it. Should we talk about some race? I think that's a brilliant idea. All right. Let's, uh, let's just go in order here. We're going to start with the women's race on day one and i think that before we even get into it a a couple actually the last episode that we we put up uh i i had in that episode talked about uh that we still there were still issues out in the world especially relating to cyclocross that we hadn't covered on this you know part of it was because we really weren't putting episodes out and we were um covering mountain biking another one is like like everybody else we needed some time to process what was uh going on in the world and like now now's kind of the time at least at least to mention what's going on and i think i don't want to speak for all of us but i will just say for me and i think all of us here hold this a similar opinion just our disappointment in the uci's decision to without really any evidence or any rationalization changing their rules on transgender athletes and not allowing eligible athletes to race in the women's field. And it's effect on, on North American cycling. And I think uh, it's, it's, I think it's a backwards decision and it it is depriving us of having athletes that we have covered, athletes we like, Austin and Jenna, the two that, that come to mind and who are part of our community, who did nothing wrong to be kicked out of that community or alienated from it. And when I say community, I mean just the UCI portion of it. They are still in what I would consider our cyclocross family and community. And it's, um, yeah, by us not talking about it wasn't anything that meant we supported this decision or were, you know, not willing to discuss it. It's, it's, it's a, a decision we, we do not agree with and we uh, feel awful that we're not able to spend time with, with people we like in racing and doing what they love to do. Yeah, Bill, I think, you know, it came up, I watched the broadcast and it was 
it was spoken about in passing. You know, the announcer uh, mentioned that one of the big riders from last year, Austin Killips, was not going to be there, and and that was it. And there was no other mention why that the UCI had banned her um, participation in the women's field. Um, and yeah, so that's that's a really big shame. And you know, one of the things that we like to do we've talked about over the years is, is just watching what writers develop. And so over the years we've seen Austin come up and I'm just specifically thinking about Pan Am's last year and, um, her going back with mags and Manny and everybody. And just, there were differences like technical skills that gave Magley the, the hand up. Uh, and you know, Austin had a great road season, one to Rahila, and it was like, another storyline like what how is her development in the off scene coming like will will she sort of pull in some of those technical skills and and that's that's no longer part of it that's and that's you know we saw magali rochette be you know very dominant on both days and you know there was one extra rider who could have been there in the mix either swapping pulls you know bring trying to bring her back or and and, and that's that they're they're gone and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was, it was the fact that it was like mentioned on the broadcast and then like, it was not talked about like why was sort of like, yeah, the, the big elephant in the room. And I'm glad we can at least talk about it on the podcast now. As disappointing as, as that is, and as, you know, <laughs> hard as it is now to transition back to the racing that we had, um, we, we that's that's what we're here to do so let's uh let's talk about this uh women's race go cross day one i i think that if you look back to last year when you talked to magley rochette at roanoke at the first uci cyclocross race of the year she's pulling in just already like didn't seem like mentally she was on top of her game and she pulls in gets stung by a wasp a couple times is feeling horrible is like just all of this stuff just isn't going her way and i think that was kind of a a a harbinger for her season to come which i don't think is the most memorable in in seasons that we've seen magley rochette compete in you know she's one of the uh, all-time great North American cyclocross racers. So, I, Zach, I think we all had questions about what's Magali Rochette going to look like this year? How's she going to come into the season? You know, it's she uh, left a, a, a specialized a bike brand that she had been with for a really long time and had a great relationship. You know, so new bikes, new new situation, new sponsorships, and coming into the season, and seems like she's uh, she answered the bell. So I'll credit to Bodie for posing some questions in the uh, media pit, the media pit Slack channel. And, you know, one of his, I, Bodie queries, like Bodie asks great questions and he's like, what's up with mags? And I was like, what's up with mags? And so I, I ran into her before Saturday's race and I was like, look, I'm not going to lie. 
everyone's like, what's up with Megs? And she's like, <laughs> I don't know. She's like, I've raced once since, you know, I think she did Marathon Mountain Bike World. She's like, I went bikepacking. I don't know. I don't know where my fitness is at. And so, you know, she's always a good sport. And I think, you know, I'm very self-aware. And, you know, so I think that that was the question uh, coming in. And I think, you know, Bodhi kind of saw it in terms of kind of how the, the first race played out, like, Vis a vis Sunday, especially that she was kind of feeling things out, feeling things out and seeing where things were at. So it was kind of interesting to see her do that and then discover kind of where her fitness at is at as the race progressed and then really finally take charge. And maybe the second lap, it might have been. Yeah, I think because I, I even, you know, my memory's about as good as maybe an hour. So I, even in the post race interview, I was like, well, you really took charge from the start. And she's like, well, no, actually I didn't. And I was just hanging out in that first lap. And then, you know, after that started to feel good and went to the front and I was like, well, okay, well you took charge after that. And, 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 and she did. And I, I think that if, if it is possible to win a race by 51 seconds and do it conservatively, I think that's, kind of what she did she just went out there rode hard rode tempo didn't make any mistakes and just kind of kind of uh, you know mastered the that course on day one day one was the the other thing that we talk about with uh, Magda Rochette a lot in these early season races is that she's prone to overheat she had a really scary episode in Rochester New York years ago where she had to go to the hospital with heat stroke you know I think some of these races down in Roanoke that can it's in a valley it's usually early season it can be in the 90s and humid and just really awful conditions to race in. Uh, So I think that was a concern for her. Saturday was beautiful. Saturday was like perfect cyclocross weather, like in the 70s, you know, and just uh, really, really nice. And and she did great. So I don't know. This was, this is kind of the problem we're going to run into a little bit with this, these women's races is that uh, Magley dominated and, um, you know, there there was really the only stories we're looking at uh, were happening behind her. So, Zach, what happened behind her? Well, I was going to say one little tidbit. So she she admitted she was doing heat training in a sauna all summer. So I was like, uh, but it was surprisingly nice. I've told this story to everyone in Roanoke last year. It was like 87 uh, and I'm in the lift going to the race. And the driver's like, oh, it's so nice. So nice. And I was like. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's 87 degrees dude, that's like, nice. in mid-September. It's hot. Like, this is great. This is the nicest nice. it's been. I mean, it was barely doing 80. It was entirely pleasant and wonderful on Saturday. So it was uh, not as not as overbearing as hot. I think we remember 2021, day one, I want to say at Charm City, when it was in the 90s. And we saw her you know, really struggle with the heat uh, in the past. And so it was not that. Uh, so it was warm. Um, but yeah, I think the, the other, I mean, really one of the storylines I think that came across, if you, uh, listen to, you know, Carolyn Mani talk and Raylan Nuss talk, they were doing a lot of gravel this off season and it was really, how do you prepare for cyclocross? I think they're two riders who have been cyclocross specific. Um, but you know, uh, it's, it's, it's gravel town, you know, Jake, that's my saying it's, it's gravel town, Jake. And that's the world that we're living in. And if you want to do stuff in bike racing, it seems like you have to work race gravel. And so they were doing a different training plan. So I think in the past we saw some of the riders come in sharper 
uh, at the beginning of the season. I think it was a focal point to come in sharp, and they were really talking about how it's kind of blunted their prep. Uh, and so neither of them felt uh, super sharp. And so, you know, they both kind of had to, to ride into the race. You know, Mani will also tell you that she's pushing 37. Uh, so she'll tell you that after every interview as well. So I think there was some feeling out. And I think we're just going to see a different progression for those two athletes um, in terms of coming into to cross fitness this year. Can we talk about that? Like that off season? Like, so Manny, Nuss, gravel program you know that's where the that's what they, they want to do that's what the money is magali her program is different and but almost because she kind of got forced to not race right she was gonna do mountain biking she did she went to marathon worlds right and didn't and didn't do it she she so was also injured and couldn't ride for a right. while and was running so right so this this I feel like I've tried to like claim this is a thing that would happen one time, but maybe it finally did. Whereas like you actually have the forced rest, like you actually cannot train and race and your body gets to recover finally. And then she's able to actually get good quality workouts in. And I didn't see this, but my partner, Emily pointed this out to me that, and then I heard on the live stream that David posted all these power numbers and that actually, if I would have checked social media, I would have seen that she was doing pretty good. Her numbers were good. She hadn't raced yet, but the numbers were really good. I just wanted to say, like, that's you see that in the race and how it plays out. Um, obviously, gravel and cross are totally different. And I think it's just interesting to see how two different one was sort of unintentional for Magalie to get to the to come to go cross and in, in that in that shape. And um, and uh, yeah, and now we get to see how it how it pays off. Well, she did say that she admitted she was feeling really unwell for almost two years. She said 18 months. And so I think to your point, I think the illness, and I think she said the illness came back in the spring, but it kind of forced her to reckon with the fact, like you get so far into it. I think we've all experienced this where you get so far into it and you're like, oh, this is the new normal. I'm just, I always feel terrible. And it's, it's like, no, actually there's something wrong with you. And you take a step back. And, you know, for her, I think it was just rediscovering enjoying the sport too, in addition to, to clearing. So it just seemed like it was a very good, I, I don't know. It was, I can't say that what happened to her is good, but it seemed like it affected her. And if you talk to her, her perspective changed, uh, because of it. So in this, this race, uh, once it all shook out, not, not really, I think on day one, that much of a battle between second and third, Carol Manny's ended up second 51 seconds back and then Raylan Nuss was third uh minute back and then she actually was I mean she said as much that she kind of was running out of gas there at the end end of that race and uh Sydney McGill was uh quick on her heels and only uh finished four seconds behind uh Raylan uh but before I forget Zach the what's what's your quote again this is gravel town which refers to the reality of the bike okay. industry right? um it's gravel town jake Bodhi, this isn't for you i want any listener without going to the internet no googling allowed if you are what's a good age 35 35 and under think it's safe think it's 40 think we can go to 40 yeah you gotta go to 40 thinks, but people are gonna know at 40 i, I want to know the age where somebody Wait, will not know you, the reference. I want oh, somebody... 35. 35. What do you want? What do you got, Zach? 
I only know it because I'm a water resources person. Wow. Wow. That's the only okay. Well, you, that's you a big a, hit. You that's a, a big clue. clue. That's a big clue. Big clue. Well, it's not a big clue if you have no idea. If you are 35 yeah. years old or younger <laughs> and you know that reference, just just leave a comment on the CXR's bulletin Instagram once we post this episode up there. I, I just I'm just curious. Yes. My 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 pop culture knowledge. I need I need to know if this is if this great pop culture quote is still still anywhere anywhere in the zeitgeist okay uh what else we got here taylor cook white uh fifth place lauren zerner top u23 finisher in sixth place emily shields in seventh and and down from there i propose that we just stick with the women and let's talk about day two uh, because it's kind of a similar Similar situation, however, the conditions did change. And and here's here's the funny thing. Like last week, if you looked at the weather, nothing was really happening on Sunday. It was it was just gonna be a day. In fact, uh I think the the, the story is that Magley and David this year have really streamlined what they do. You know, uh Chris McGovern, and we'll talk about this, started a U twenty three team, the Cervello orange help me out with the second part of orange orange, orange living. living uh Cervello. it's because they're not endemic you've never <laughs> heard of them. living um orange living yeah team yeah not orange seal so orange part living. of that though is he's also running this service course for uh david and magali and the bear cx team and then also his team so it's it's kind of i think zach you you put it best is kind of bringing back that big team mentality and being able to have a big setup and and house and service all of these these different elements in it so david and mags are taking advantage of that all of their stuff is going to each race without them and they were coming to this race just with no mud tires because it wasn't going to rain and nothing was going to happen and they talked to frank deal who we were talking about before and frank uh about midweek was like oh yeah you know 92% chance of rain on on uh, uh, Sunday afternoon. Are you guys prepared? And uh, David was like, good thing we hadn't left yet. Took one pair of mud tires and threw them in a bag and took those with them um, as as well to, to Roanoke, which is amazing. I mean, just completely, wow. completely streamlined. And so we get to Saturday. We have this beautiful day. I, I think that much like um, – in playoff runs where everybody in the stands is watching the the other teams to see how they're doing, to see if their team is going to make it into the playoffs. Everybody Saturday just has their phone out and they're just watching the weather and they're watching radar and they're saying, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? It did rain. You can't say it didn't rain, but it did not downpour. Like it was a manageable rain. Here, it was a dud. I, I, mean, I was, I, I was going to, yeah. in photography terms, Bodie. Yeah. Did I, did I, did I need to run out to the Walmart and get some gear? Was there that, were, was that there were a couple of wall. Well, there were a couple of Walmart plastic bags over some cameras. Bruce, Bu- Bruce Buckley's pro. So he had, he was like, I'm not taking any chances. He had, he had all his cameras decked out. I didn't even, I didn't even bring, a, I didn't bring a camera cover out. I was just like, I don't need it. And it was and it was fine. So that's that's yeah. that's the level okay. of non rain that we got. And by the time the elites race, the women actually raced in the rain. 
and it was nice. It was a nice, refreshing little rain. It wasn't anything special. And then by the men's race, it it was sunny. So, Bill, was it? Would you say it was not a rainy rain, rain, rain? I don't think it was a rainy rain, rain, rain. It might have been a rainy re. Okay. It really started to tack up too. I asked Bagley after the race, yeah. and she was it, like, "Yeah, it was it like was it was yeah. really getting." It was tacking up as the the race went on, but there were definitely some wrecks earlier on in the junior races. You saw, you heard some wrecks. You saw kids going down. I think the section by the stairs was still pretty dicey. Um, it was greasy. Yeah. It was. I I don't want to downplay that. We didn't get it. We didn't get mud. That, that's kind of the point I was going to make with this is that we did not get a mud race, but we definitely got a greasy race, and people definitely were going down, and it made. Yeah, the the off camber before the stairs, and even the the off camber before the the sprint that we were talking about. Both of those were really tricky, and if you you know didn't didn't play those turns right, you were losing time. I think in the junior races, actually, there were podium spots, and uh, even in the junior women's race, uh, you know, Alyssa White, who is just amazing right now and going super fast. I think the um, uh, um, Lydia Kuzak and also Alyssa Sarkisov also right up there with her. Um, Alyssa won day one and then day two was in the lead, had to go foot down in that one turn that gave Kuzak the opportunity to pass her. And that was kind of the race, you know, she took advantage of it, attacked her and was able to hold off. So it definitely played a part. I don't want to downplay that the greasy conditions didn't play a part, but I think by the time the elites got on there, it, for the women, it was still a factor. By the time the men got there, they were just they were still racing the same speed as they were the day before. So it was cyclocross weather, <laughs> like every, like every hour of the day, and it was just changing. It was sunny, cyclocross weather. It was wet, it was cyclocross weather. You could wear that shirt all day long and never be wrong. Uh, so I mean, you know, Bodie, if if day one was feeling things out for Magali Rochette, uh, day two wasn't. <laughs> No, this year she'd already felt it out. She she already knew exactly what things she, were felt out already. Yeah, she was ready to go. Um, that and, and this is sort of like where I came into the bulletin slack, and I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I mean, I know what's going on. Maggie's up front, but like things were so the broadcast was having a hard time figure out how to tell the story of the race because very early on it was spread out. It was Mags, it was Nuss, who was in second, which was interesting and then manny was back but we didn't we didn't know why manny was back heard she missed a pedal and zach you might know and then and then when monty caught up to us we didn't see the pass and we didn't know how that happened which that was the, the one story point i was looking for so do you guys have insight into that yeah sure so i mean uh not money missed her pedal but she was still kind of up there it was like you know so sydney mcgill did sydney mcgill things it was funny uh, the Canadians had a little talk and Rochette told Sid, you know, she was like, hey, Sid, I'm going to start really fast. And, you know, I think Sydney, we were talking, we were remembering uh, at Charm City Day 2 when she stayed with Anne-Marie Worst for two, for a whole lap. I think she lasted about two minutes this time because uh, by the time they exited the stairs, it was just like, whoa, boy, uh, Rochette already has like a 10 second gap two minutes into the race. Um, but yeah, so like money and Nuss eventually were in second and third. And I actually don't know what happened, how Nuss got the gap. Cause I was going back and watching the race afterwards. And I was like, how did that happen? Uh, in Monty's words, uh, I had, you know, kudos or shout out to Noah Levitt who caught this money said that she was cornering like a gravel racer. Um, so maybe there was, 
there was some of that going on. And yeah, once she caught Nuss, though, you know, they rode together for a little bit. And you know, Raylan was just like, I didn't have it. You know, money. I think we've seen this before in some races last year where she, Raylan was maybe in second. It happened at least once. And money, I think, takes time to ride into the race. She's always super consistent and she doesn't panic. You know, uh, she's got experience under her belt and she knows that she can kind of diesel it forward. She doesn't, she, you know, she doesn't maybe have the snap to like when Rochette just goes for it to follow, but she has that diesel power to kind of like be consistent, put pressure on, on us. And, you know, Raylan was the first to admit that she just kind of like dropped anchor, uh, near the end of that race. So I think that's mostly what happened. Um, it wasn't anything like dramatic. It was just that, you know, money She's a diesel. She's a diesel machine, and she just was dieseling, and Raylan didn't have the legs to go with her at the uh, as the race progressed. So I think part of the problem of what you were saying, Michael, and yeah, I, I know that the broadcast got some criticism, but then also some of the races were good, and it's it's almost like what we talk about when we see cyclocross courses. It's always the racers make the race, and I think this was a a great example of the racers making the race. And if you are a uh, production team trying to sell the story of this race, it's not easy to do. And you don't know where to put the camera because you don't know w- what the story is. By the time this was over, I mean, we can... eighth place in a cyclocross race. This is a 48 minute race. Eighth place in this race was five minutes down. That's a, that's a pretty good gap for your top 10. You add a minute 53 down Carolyn Mani to Magali Rochette. That's a pretty darn big gap. It's big. And then 219 to Raylan, another 20 seconds back to Sydney, another 30 seconds back to Lord. If you go through here, I, you tell me. I'm looking at the women's result down to at least 15. Was anybody riding together? Doesn't I don't look see like anybody. It. Yeah, I don't see anybody riding together. Everybody, you know, we were we were actually talking um, to some of the U twenty three racers on the men's side just about this being their first uh, race in the elites, and it's like they're good, but they're not good enough, and it's it's kind of this U twenty three conundrum. You just get caught in no man's land. It's like you don't want to go back. You're not really in the full North American Midler field, but you're not up with the elites either and you do a lot of races just on your own time trialing just in the in the in the middle of groups this was the whole field they were just out there time trialing. it doesn't look like there was a lot of racing going on but that was i mean i'm sure there was racing and everybody was like in there but by the end there were no packs that was like every race especially on sunday i mean i was remember i was at a course crossing it was during the junior men cat two or whatever I waited for like three or four minutes to cross the course because there were no gap. It was just one rider after the other. And I was like, I was like, this is ridiculous. I have never seen this before. And it was just one rider, one rider, one rider, one rider, one rider at 10 second intervals. You couldn't cross the course. Uh, and I think it happened to me during the elite men's race. One of the days too, like I could not get across the course because it just, I, I don't know. I, do you, Bill, do you think maybe part of that is just because of how hilly it was with the conditions? It seems like, you know, hills are just such a game changer between ability. Like anyone can draft, but hills just really expose. And that's why in like 
you know, Grand Tours and stuff, you see such huge time gaps on hills. It just, there's nowhere to hide. It just exposes differences in fitness. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's probably it. And I think it's also the pace of what the front was doing. And, and uh, you know, I want to get onto the men's race so we give them at least enough time since we're uh, coming up coming up on it. Uh, but I think the, the difference in the men's race versus the women's race, at least for, for Saturday, where we saw more group racing was, you know, we'll talk about it, not everybody willing to just go all out. And it just, it, it created the opportunity for more group riding because it, it, everybody was kind of holding a little in reserve for, for the, for the later laps. And I don't think anybody could afford to do that on Sunday. I think you just had to ride your race and, and go as hard as you could. And that that's kind of going to create, there was no strategy. It was just go out there and go. Yeah. So two things, I guess that, you know, the elite men's race bill, you posted, uh, a great compilation of history of finishes at go cross the Kerry Werner show, lots of sprints. <laughs> um, you know, it seems like a course that lends itself to, to that. And I don't know who I was talking to, but they were talking about how, you know, it's, it's hilly, but the, the corners are really wide open. There aren't a lot of pinch points. And so, you know, it does, even though it is a challenging physical course that there are opportunities to take corners and not open up those gaps. There's no tight technical sections that really forced the elastic. And so riders were staying together. So I think that's part of what dictated what happened in the men's race. And then really the story is the finish before the finish. So looking at the drone, it was kind of tough to tell. And so, you know, the latter half of the lap on the, if you're looking, uh, let's say you're looking at the finish on the right side, they kind of go away from the finish line they go up on the old that was the old kind of late lap hill over the top they go down and it's just a big climb up to the school it was the opening climb of the lap last year and really after that there's like a little downhill into a right hand a very short uphill into a u-turn and then a left hander and so like basically was the fin right you had to win the climb everyone knew it everyone knew that you you had to win the climb and so i think those are really for the men's racer kind of like to me are the two important things to know about how the men's race progressed and really what the last lap uh, was all about. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we had a little different feel for this men's race. It was, it was great to see. I think that the lack of a full European and Belgian calendar in the early part of the year, like we've seen in the past, I think in, in, in the past couple of years, since there were two, American World Cups coming up there there was an incentive to schedule some early season races so everybody who was coming over was able to 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 get some some races in their legs and and do those you know there were, there was a lot of C2s uh, leading up to Waterloo and Fayetteville with only one World Cup I think the incentive to have those races is lower and there's still a lot of road racing going on and a lot of you know riders are doing different things so those those didn't exist and what that did is it opened up an opportunity for us to have some more europeans showing up at these early season races and it's something that i hope continues to happen i think that uh you know we can give credit to to vincent bastons for kind of showing showing the way to come over compete in some hard races but also if you are uh, to be honest, in the in the top of the middle of the pack, you have an opportunity to to win some races, an opportunity to get to fight for some podiums. It's not that the the racing here is easy, but it's not as 
challenging as it is at the top in, in these uh, Belgian races. So uh, Loris Rouillet, who's a 23-year-old Swiss rider, you know, whose name we've, we've called in the past in, in big races. He came over. Uh, Anton Ferdinand, another young rider, you know, in the elites, but 23 years old, who uh, is a hens. Uh, rider, he came over, and uh, Vincent was here as well. So it was it was good to have a little different flavor at the front end of this race, and it you know it meant that the people that we are used to seeing alone in these races, the Curtis Whites and 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 that whole crew, the whole kind of North American crew, had had some new faces to contend with, and. Um, they kind of they kind of dictated the, the the race, either positively racing or negatively racing, at least on on Saturday. I got to say, I think it's pretty cool. I was thinking of this after the race, especially after on Sunday, watching the interviews with the riders and just being able to watch Loris and Antoine, especially at the front of these races and the way that they race, their tactics, their attacks, their defensive moves. Like this is a good good point or a good time for American fans to actually get to know some of these other riders, the sort of middlers, the top 20 guys who would sort of just become AG, AGBs to us, just another generic budget Belgian, right? Now, now they have names, they have faces, they have attitudes, personalities. Like now I know Antoine really well. I know Loris. Um, I just think it's really cool. I think Vincent, right, you said he's done it before. He's been here. We've learned about Vincent. You know, Anna Marie came over last year. We kind of got to see a little more of her sort of like be at the front on her own and sort of like, you know, showing the Americans how to do it. And so I just, I was really stoked. I got pretty excited watching them and listening to your interviews with them, Bill, and just hearing them react and, and seeing how they rode. Like Antoine absolutely sent it on the flyover on day two, I didn't watch uh, men's day one until just now, like just before the podcast. And I realized that Andrew also sent it on day one. So I, I, I was like, Oh, so, so Antoine was answering what Andrew had done. I that, that was, I didn't, I missed that. So that was really good. So I just want to say that like, this is, this is really a good opportunity for the American fans to learn about who some of these writers are. And like, I'm definitely going to be looking out for the Swiss watermelon, um, at the World Cups and the other European races because I love the kit. One thing before I throw it over to Zach is that we we did have two other Europeans in there. Uh, Matteo Apizi, he DNF'd, uh, I know, on Saturday, so he's another Swiss rider who was in there. And then I'm, I'm, just, I'm just teeing you up. I'm teeing you up, Zach, for the, the man of the week, the mystery man of the week, 18-year-old Bart J. Jr. Vander Castile. Talk to me about the horse jumper. I don't know what he was doing there. <laughs> like, I mean, he was he was bringing up the rear, like, right from the start. He's on Vinny B's team. Uh, they were like, we're going to take a flyer on this kid. I, 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 It was one of those things. I was like, you know, I'm doing my research, letting folks know I uh, about, you know, who our foreign guests are. And it was like one of those things where it said, equestrian and i was like this has to be a google translate error has to be it's like no dude was like one of the top junior equestrian riders in the world uh which just begged me to meme you know it was the drake meme <laughs> ski jumping no horse jumping <laughs> yes 
uh, I, it was the perfect opportunity to use the hotline bling. Uh, anytime I can use the hotline bling drink meme. I will say too this about, and I think this plays into, um, you know, we were workshopping this uh, for day two finale. Uh, you may remember Anton Ferdinand. If that name is a little bit familiar, it might be for those of you who pay really close attention. 2021 Jingle Cross, Friday Night Lights. He's at the front with T. Sertz and, uh, you know, uh, they go, Vinny B is dangling off the back and they go up Mount Crumpet and Tease Ayers just holds up and he falls right on top of Anton Fernande. Vinny B rides right by him and wins. I brought that up and he was pissed. Uh, it was not a good weekend for a man, Anton. Uh, he was not happy. I was like, bro, why do you hate America? Like, what's going on? You just have no good luck here. Um so yeah, so that's kind of the story uh, with those dudes. But I, you know, I think we're really burying the lead here. And Bill, I think I'll let you do this. Strohmeyer, massive race. I, you know, just a little bit of backstory. Really cool. This reminds me of when Katie Keogh finished on the podium at Jingle Cross. She had raced it since like age nine. Strohmeyer's raced at this event for six years. He's from Maryland. You know, he was. He remembers being 17 and racing here. He even raced during the pandemic season. Uh, so it's a race that he has a lot of experience at. And, you know, he had a lot of folks who knew him and stuff. And so it's really cool to see kind of like that local aspect and have this really be one of his. He's had a lot of breakout rides, but one of his his breakout rides. And he he sh- he was like, you know what? I belong. It was really cool to see. Yeah. And we. It, it's it's interesting because we even saw that a couple of years ago at Go Cross where he's up there like nipping at Carrie's heels and you know really in there just kind of a, being a being a, a fly in the ointment in that in that group when he was you know super young and you know he won junior national championships he won the U twenty three national championships he's he is I think what all of us who love the sport of cyclocross love to see in that he doesn't want to race on the road. He's a good road racer. He doesn't want to race mountain bikes. He doesn't want to race gravel bikes. Maybe maybe he could be better at one of those disciplines. I don't think he is. I think he is a true cyclocross racer, and he wants to race cyclocross bikes. He wants to race cyclocross bikes in Europe. He wants to commit to doing that, and that's what he's doing. And I think just, you know, I, I, I admit being a homer right now. I admit the bias. He is on the CXD Trek Bikes program. It's a program that I work with closely. And I, I yeah, it, it, it has been amazing to watch his progression through the years, but it's also something that I think I had more people coming up to me after his performance on Saturday, he got third, uh, and saying, are you surprised by this result? And it's, it's not like, this is not big headedness, but the answer is no, no, we were not surprised by this result. This is kind of where we expected Andrew Strohmeyer to be. I think it's, he won't tell you this, Zach, he was coy with you on what he wanted to do and his goals were, but I think it's, I will say it for him. I think this is where he expected to be. I think that he, was disappointed that he did not win this race because he had the opportunity to do that. And he also, and we'll talk about it. And I I sort of mentioned before that this was group racing. You know, if you saw the interview with him at the end of the race, he was like, nobody wanted to go fast. Nobody wanted to race. So I was like, 
I'll go race. I'll go do it. And he was just attacking that, that whole race. And I think it was, it was fun to see. And if, you know, it was kind of like, that was the only race I watched. And again, I have a stake in this. I want to see him do well. And it's like, uh, it was an exciting wet race to watch because it was actually dynamic and they were, they were racing each other. So yeah, that it, you're right. Thank you. Thanks for letting me run on about, uh, Andrew Strohmeyer, but I, I think he is really going to be a fun one to watch this whole season. Bill, speaking of fun, speaking of the, the antics, the tactics, I can't help but look at those beautiful new CXD kits and think about the Los Angeles Lakers. Is it Andrew Showtime Strohmeyer? Is that the new nickname? Has he earned it? It is not the new. It is not. It, if Jeremy Powers was not around, if he did not live, yes, I'm all in on on showtime however when when he was attacking up that hill uh uh, uh powers i have to pull this clip powers i think wanted to say strohmeyer is putting in another big dig and instead he said strohmeyer is using his big dig <laughs> to to get up the hill and um we basically had to stop and rewind that about six times when we were all watching that with him. And, and since then, I, I think we're going with hashtag big dig for Andrew uh, Strohmeyer as far as uh, uh, nicknames go. All right, big dig. Show us. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I think to, to echo Bill's sentiment, I think that we looked at Strohmeyer and we said, this is a kid with kind of the complete package. I think he had the resiliency, he had the technical abilities, and he had the desire to really want to race at the highest level and especially embrace the conditions of racing in Europe. And, you know, I was, admittedly, I was super concerned. And I know, Bill, you guys tried to move heaven and earth to get him the experience. But, you know, he was a first year U23 during the pandemic. And there were all these other riders in Europe getting that development opportunity. And he really wasn't, I was super concerned. I was like, this is not good. Um, and I think he's come out of it super well. You know, I talked to him, we have an interview that will be out at the bulletin soon, uh, with Andrew that I think was a phenomenal interview. Um, but he was talking about his sixth place at Tabor last year, just really him showing what he knew he could accomplish. And for me, it was really great to see that he was able to do that against these riders who really, he missed a year of development. One of the, I mean, this is what happens to American cyclocross racers. They turn 1920 and that's where the gap happens. We've had so many talented juniors and it's just great to see that he really seems to be putting it together. And so for me too, zero surprise, zero surprise that he was there and doing what he did. Yeah, and, and that you talk about that Tabor race, and that's he, you know, he he got pipped at the line by Pim Romanhar. You know, that's 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 kind of like okay. You know, that's a that's a good effort there. And but what that did, and I think this is a kind of a a lesson for other people who are good enough to be in that a similar position, and just the result of that is it's it's truly as cliche as it is it's game respects game after that after he got that result uh, we went and practiced with the lions in Lictart forest and showed up and like tebow is coming up to andrew and talk you, you know it's like he kn- 
he's like, this is the guy that just raced with us the, the, the weekend before we know him. We, these are his teammates. And it was, it was a, they practiced together. Not like, Oh, we're going to like, you know, let these kids come and hang out with us and, and show them what a real cyclocross practice is. It was like, no, they went out and they went hard and they all raced together. And it was just like mutual respect among everybody, even though we're just these, you know, Americans over here trying out this sport. It's, it's, it's beyond that once you get these results and once you're able to establish yourself. So that's, that's kind of the cool story to see, yeah, this is possible. This can happen. But back to this race. One other thing about Strohmeyer, and then we can move on. He got crashed out in the first lap in the sand pit. He was down to like 15th place. So he had to like fight his way back, got to the front. And then it's always the thing. It's like, when you get to the front, what do you do? You just keep going. So that's kind of what he did and then uh, played around from there. But, you know, Cinderella story not to be, when it, when it came down to it, uh, you talk about resiliency. <laughs> we got to talk about uh, Loris Roulier, who was... We thought he was out. Lap seven or he whatever. He looked horrible. He was done. Yeah. He was dropped. Oh, he was. I have a photo. I have a photo. I, sh- I showed Strohmeyer's photo. I was like, how did he get back in this race? Because he is like dark in the back. Like the light's not even there. He's so far back and the group is just riding up the hill without him. And then like half a lap later, he's leading it and, and taking the win. I just, yeah, that was just, and he said he wasn't feeling well. He was like, he just felt bad the whole day. So I, I don't. I don't know what he did, but it was pretty damn impressive. Yeah, so the I, I want the end of the race was actually great cyclocross, and this was you know talk about a time when it was actually kind of nice to have the drone. This was a great time to have the drone. So you know, Loris was he was just railing that downhill sweeping off camber, the iconic go cross feature, and it was funny because I heard Strohmeyer because uh, I always squat in the uh, CXD Trek bikes tent. Uh, with my stuff and he was talking to someone he's like I don't know how that guy was riding that thing that fast so he goes to the front but Strohmeyer like gets in front of him after the planks which is like pristine the perfect place uh, you know I know Bill you're a media member I saw a fist I thought I saw a fist bump I know you saw that I saw a fist bump from or a fist pump from Bill at that moment because it was like beautiful you know it was a great move and he was in the perfect place you go down the hill and you start the climb um, but the thing that I caught, and I don't know if other folks caught this, but like Curtis was not in the best position. He was third or fourth wheel, but he was going to make a move too. So he tried to pull around to the outside, but Loris jumped right at the wrong moment and Curtis just had to like break check. And so, you know, we didn't talk about Curtis much. He was in the mix. He really didn't do much work. It seemed like he had a move timed or whatever, uh, but Loris just had too many Watts. That's what Strohmeyer, he's like too many Watts, you know, but Andrew, I think did everything right to be in the first position, but they all kind of knew that that was the finish before the finish and everything else from that last lap, you just look at what Strohmeyer did and you're like, damn, <laughs> Well, it was even, I mean, uh, Loris just to, to stave off Strohmeyer because he had to pass him to get to the hill at the end and then did a did this like F1 move on him into the corner where nobody was going inside ever on, on I think, the third to last turn, like right at the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. Strohmeyer went wide to try to get around him and he just like went straight to the stake and, and cut off the move. It's, uh, how how he instinctively knew this was happening behind him. I don't know. And it's just like, yeah, it just stymied that move. And then he was able to, to power up that hill and, and, and roll in for the win. Uh, I, I will say that there was a 
sprint that happened behind him uh, after he took the win. It, confidence there. He had what, like a bike length, maybe, and just kind of took the took the, the the foot off the pedal and was just rolling in, posting up. Cool, you you won. You deserved to do that. Problem was there was two guys sprinting behind him, <laughs> uh, so. Not to say that Strohmeyer was going to win this sprint over Anton, but they were within a millimeter of each other. Strohmeyer got the bad luck in that he was to uh, he was kind of riding in at the same on the same line that Loris was stopping on to put up his hands and just came flying back at him. So Strohmeyer had to like quickly divert and go around him, and I think that you know. That that could have been could have been a different story if he just had a clean clean sprint for it, but it still was for a second, you know. But good podium. Curtis ends up in fourth. Uh, our boy Vinny B in uh, fifth place. You know, we'll get to him on Sunday. But you know, I I think um, struggling struggling for form at this this time of the season, which is really different than what we've seen in the past when he's he's come in come into this uh come into the series. Caleb Swartz in. Sixth place, uh, Jules Van Kempen. He's one of these uh, riders on the new Cervelo Orange Living Team in seventh place. Marcia Shelton, great ride for uh, Bear CX in eighth, and then our first Canadian, second in our hearse, for, second in our hearts, first on the score sheet, ninth place, Michael Vandenham. This is a good time to mention. Uh, so this will be we learned Vinny B. This is last year, so this will be the last time that you see him in America. Uh, Vandenham, Michael Vandenham, also announced that this will be his new, his last year. Uh, you know, Dad Watts has a newborn kid, so he's doing one last season. I think he's going to be taking over a position with Canadian Cycling. We'll say though, we love we love Michael Vandenham, and I was like, I was like, he was hanging out, and I was like, how was it? How was it running the Pony Camp? And he just stares at me. And he's like. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Area Man does not listen to the Media Pit podcast. <laughs> and he's like, ID, ID. And I was like, he's like, I've, I, I know the term, but I never knew what the pony camp was. Uh, so he was riding around with Jules and uh, Marcus. Uh, I it brought to you know the pony camp. I thought that he was doing a nice Ten job. Years. Ni- Ten years, they're a senior. Yeah, yep. nice I job running the, the pony rule. camp, but just. Had to slag him a little bit because he didn't, you know, wasn't aware of all media pit lore. Can I can I say he did? So he's going to retire from cross, but it sounds like he's still going to do some other racing. Well, gravel, of course. Yes, and just happenstance on Sunday, I was doing a gravel ride, and two people, two separate people, went to two separate destination gravel events that Michael Vandenham had won. So he so the old man still has it. Just maybe not at the CX level. Maybe Michael Vandenham's kid is our favorite Canadian. <laughs> Mystery solved. We've been waiting. Wait, Bill, I Bill, I'm watching, I'm gonna do my thing. I'm watching your video of the finish of the sprint, Andrew Ferdinand. Antoine's chain comes off. Did you see that? That's crazy. I mean, if that had come off a little bit earlier, really interesting. I think what we call that in the in the uh, Svenness parlance is foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah. 
<laughs> so perfect segue to day two. Yeah, day two. So we were expecting a downpour as I uh, was telling Frank Deal, you know, the one thing about 92% chance of rain is there's always that other 8%. And that's uh, that's kind of where we were. And so similar situation. Unfortunately, I just uh, rambled on about Andrew Strohmeyer for 20 minutes. Uh, bad luck right off the gun. You know, he was already falling backwards, uh, had to go into the pit three times, I think, in the first two laps for uh, for wheels and just not – just not a good situation. You know, I mean, it's Zach's fault because um, he, he jinked him because he said he just wanted to be consistent. So, Zach, if you had never asked that question, none of this would have happened. Uh, but, yeah, so he, was, he wasn't he was even in, in the picture for this. And a little different race because Loris and Anton were able to separate themselves uh, from, from the rest of that group. Yeah, it was... Um... Due to a Curtis White mistake, actually, on on that side hill, Loris was first wheel. Uh, Curtis kind of dabbed and really stacked things up behind him. Uh, and then it was, you know, was was he going to get back in the game? And so, I, you know, Anton let Curtis try to drag him back for a bit. And then was finally like, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. So then he started to bridge across. And, you know, Vinny B, to his credit, he gave it a valiant effort to try to bridge across. You know, he did the thing like, can I make the lead group? Uh, he did not. Uh, he dropped back and there was actually a moment then. So he drops back and Curtis actually put in a big attack. Once he caught him, he attacked through on that opening hill and Curtis was in, you're like, Oh, all right, Curtis is going to do this or whatever. Um, but then Vin- Vinny B eventually came back to him and then was able to get a gap. But it was interesting to hear Vinny B talk about it. He's just like, I didn't have it. I was just going to ride my own pace. And so it's like that awareness. He's like, you just kind of have to hope that you can keep riding your own pace um, but I, I think really the story here with these guys is, as I tried putting it in my write-up, like they were riding together, but they weren't riding with each other in any way, shape, or form. What uh, this is the most disjointed breakaway I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it, it, the weird thing is, like we we sit here and we a lot of times want to try to figure out what's going through these minds or what conversations are happening up front. And I can tell you this, once they got that gap, there were a lot of conversations. They, I mean, they were, I don't, I, I don't know if they were necessarily slowing down that much, but I think they were definitely slowing down yet. They were still able to keep that, that group behind them. And they're just, they're just chattering at each other. At one point, they were were laughing, and like after the race, I don't know if you got this from him as well. Anton basically just called out Loris, and he was like, "Well, he was telling me that he didn't feel great, and that you know we we're just going to ride together, and then just uh, you you know, um, I guess sprinting out at the end." And I was, it was it was just kind of odd, and and I think he was just regretting kind of going along with that instead of just racing his own race and 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 taking off and maybe maybe again maybe some of this is getting lost in translation and that's what it means but that's kind of what it seemed like and then he was just kicking himself at the end i mean he was pissed at the end we'll get to that but but they were just yeah i think you're absolutely right zach i don't it was the weirdest kind of alliance non-alliance at the front of this race yeah because loris was like 
I don't care if Vinny B comes. Uh, to his credit, I mean, it was insightful. He's like, I don't care. I dropped that guy. If he comes back, whatever. I'm racing to win. Uh, but I think Anton, you know, he talked about this on Saturday being, because he went really hard the first two laps. I think he did not do his go-cross homework. I mean, not, not that I expect him to. Uh, but, you know, he was like, I'm going to drop everybody and really whittle this group down. And then he was like, oh, can't do that. Um, you know, I think that he wants to, he's a guy who wants to race with fewer people and, but yeah, he was like, you know, uh, Loris would go 200% or 50%. And we saw this, it comes back shortly before the sand pit, the drone shot. I don't know if this was intentional on Loris's part, but there's this little hump that they go over and he just stops and like Anton runs into him and Vinny almost runs like the three of them just like run into each other midway through this bell lap. It was just really bizarre and you know i think jay powell's called it out even on the broadcast he could tell he was like what's going on here it was just really really weird uh racing and yeah i think that anton just was not happy all weekend uh with how things went and he he said the same thing to me he's like what was he doing i didn't want to do this um and he just couldn't talk him into into doing it uh but i will say this so bill you know i we can we're workshopping uh, the podium. If you haven't seen a podium shot, I, I'm usually pretty anti. Don't care about podium shots. This was a phenomenal podium shot uh, performance from Anton. But I don't know if you guys saw that he made like two major mistakes in the last like two minutes of this race that preceded the chain drop. The chain drop isn't why he lost. Like he lost the finish before the finish because he made two mistakes. Uh, did you guys catch that? I did see, yeah, he he sort of dabbed out on one of those downhill turns. I don't know that. I don't remember the second one. Uh, so the first was one was on the old finish. He dabbed at the top. So, like, he was on Loris's wheel, and going into the climb, he lost maybe two or three bike lengths. But you're right, Michael. After the descent, before the hump and the chain drop, he, he really slid out. Yeah. And that's probably what kicked his chain off. And then when he tried to pedal, you know, it kicked it off and, you know, but again, Loris won the sprint before the sprint. And I just, I know he was upset. I don't know where he thought he was going to come around him. And I don't know how he thought he was going to win a sprint coming off that at second. Maybe he thought because he was behind Strohmeyer the day before that he could win a sprint from second wheel, but that was a really short finish and it was really hard. You know, first to the pavement was mm. super important in this case. It was no, it was not Hoover Heide of Worlds. It was a very short dump and the onto the course and then sprint yeah because you get you basically have to stop to make that turn so you get to the pavement you already have a bike length before the next guy gets on the pavement and there's just not enough time to wind up and actually pass somebody and yeah it, it was it was odd i mean losing the chain and on that that last climb especially after he lost the day before i mean he was obviously feeling good you were talking about how he was like airing out to fly fly over but um he was pissed he was pissed to the point that uh we kind of had to coax him into doing his uh, post-race interview he wanted he wanted no part of it uh so you know it was, i'm glad he finally worked his way over there and was professional about it and, and talked about how upset he was he was basically like i i came here to win i want to win and i was like cool great so i think that uh we're gonna see a battle in rochester i think yeah. that's what that's what this means i think that he's gonna be uh he is gonna be fired up to to take charge in rochester so that's that's gonna be fun to watch rest uh so 
the 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 thing I think that you know upset him even more was that by him losing his chain there, Vin, uh, Vinny was able to get around him as well, take second place, and so I mean that was just you know insult to injury right there. Uh, Anton ended up in third. Curtis White consistent fourth place both both days, but I I don't think I'm talking out of school when I think that Curtis wanted more and was uh, a little disappointed in 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 that result and will be looking to do better in Rochester. Uh, great ride by Jack Spranger. Another uh, Bear CX rider in fifth place, 19-year-old, 38 seconds down. That's a that's a really strong ride. He was, you know, like I talked about, about before, you know, he was kind of out there on his own a little bit. Uh, sixth place, uh, Drew Dillman. Seventh, uh, Caleb Swartz of uh, Anaheim in eighth. Marcus Shelton in ninth, and then Jules Van Kempen in tenth. Kind of the same players up there again for day two. But exciting things. I think I think we got some good storylines going in going into Rochester. Yeah, I think that was those that was a pretty good. I mean, in the men's side, we had the exciting racing really both days, and I like I said, I was watching day one again, and I got really excited because that type of racing. The thing is, you like you said, Bill, you have those Euros who kind of, like, those guys are racing around Curtis at Worlds, right? He's sort of in that 10 to 15 level anyway, so now we put them in the front of the race, and now they're actually racing for the win. We're getting some pretty uh, exciting stuff. So that was, you know, Anton got a, he, he finally cracked a smile when you mentioned Rochester, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win there. I'm really going to win there. So exactly, very excited for that. Bill, I wanted to ask you just because I know what it's like to be on the field, on the ground. You're taking the photos and then you're rushing over and you're doing these interviews on the fly. I mean, you had tough, it was tough. Like I was thinking like, are you thinking of questions beforehand? Are you like having to react? Because like, A, in the women's race, it's like it kind of was done in the first lap. And then in the men's race, you had a, someone who didn't want to be there and you were having to deal with him. Just tell us a little bit about that, like doing your photo video job and then switching quickly to interviewing and getting good interviews. It it is definitely something that in the last lap of the races, I'm not as focused on getting content because I'm trying to think about it. And um, for the women's here, this is always, it doesn't need to be said, but this is always kind of how we treated racing on the media pit. We are never going to put the men above the women or the women above the men. We're going to put good racing against not as exciting racing. That's it. One week, it might be the women that have the best race. One week, it might be the men's that would have the best race. And that's what we're going to get excited about. This was definitely better racing on the men's men's side just because Magli Rochette was so, I mean, just she was she was head and shoulders above everyone else so at the end of the women's race on day two uh i was quizzing the on-site media pit and i talked to at least i talked i asked zach i asked danny uh i asked bruce all the same question i said what would you ask the podium finishers on the women's side and 
all of them started to open their mouth. And I did this for Zach. I did this for all three. And as soon as they were about to answer, I said, it can't be the weather. (laughs) (laughs) And all of them were like, huh. I was like, I got that one loaded. I know I can ask about the weather. What else are we going to talk about? And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing you don't want to just sit there and go, so how'd it go? Uh, you, you want an actual question, but it is, I, I think the, the, the nice thing about this race is it's early. Everybody's excited. It's definitely, you know, in the first day, you can talk about what the off season's like. You can talk about the racing. You can talk about things that you saw out there. And the one thing that, I've learned, at least for me, is I'm not scared to be wrong about it. And it's an opportunity for them to then correct me and then tell me what actually happened. Like when Magley, when I got it wrong, I thought she was out front and she wasn't. And she was able to explain what she did. I think that's fine. I don't mind putting myself in that position if somebody gets a good answer. So that's it. And I usually have a different hat up there. So I change hats. I feel like we've come (laughs) along. I, I will say this. I think that people who it's just maybe because it's a smaller sport that you are allowed to make those mistakes. I mean, I remember I learned from my first interview, never read the comments on YouTube and I would just get torched for questions I asked. And it's like, you're just making it up. You know, it's so much different. Someone at home is like watching every moment. They're like, I can't believe you asked about that. And it's like, it's hard. And so I appreciate that, you know, people that if they, even if they are going to give you a hard time, it's just in jest. And I think the comment, I just, it feels like a more positive experience of enjoying cyclocross as a media person. Um, albeit, you know, smaller, uh, you know, it, but it, it, it's not easy. It's so much easier when you're at home to be like, well, what about this exact moment? Like we don't see a lot of that stuff and you're doing other that you're multitasking. Sometimes right. you're doing four things at once, <laughs> you know, and then stepping into that role. So Bill, I, I mean, I know I cheat, I do it all on audio so when I'm like hey, about this, they're like, yeah, that didn't happen. And no one knows that I asked that it's question. So, yep. you know, uh, kudos to you for, for doing that. And it's not easy. I can just from firsthand experience, I can tell you that it's, it's not easy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other just quick behind the scenes part of it that I know Bodie, you're, you're familiar with, uh, a, a television production is chaos. It's just absolute chaos there is a producer there who's yelling at the cameraman who's talking to the people telling him that you can't listen to him because he's got somebody in his ear telling him somebody else and i'm looking at them trying to figure out when i'm going to go and where i'm going to stand and if i have to move three inches to the right or the left and it's like all of that stuff going on and then you have to be like hey how's it going <laughs> and you <laughs> and you're this and race. you're not you're not plugged in you're not you i have nothing exactly I have nothing and and here's here's the other interesting I don't know if it's interesting. Here's the other thing is that I have to be generic in everything because even though we're watching this on GCN plus, I can't say that I'm throwing it back to Jeremy because I may be, it may be some German commentator out there who, who doesn't, you know, so that's, that's kind of the stuff too. So you have to keep that in mind. It's not, you're not doing it for GCN. You're doing it for everybody. That's, you know, gonna, gonna put this broadcast out there. I want to say that I think that Raylan Nuss, and I'm this is not a slight in any way. This is like kudos, is a fan of Bull Durham. Yeah, you think you think she's got the uh, the 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 she's got his name down. Nuke Nuke. She's got the Nuke. She's she's got the I don't know what do you so I I've lost you on that part. What do you mean the Nuke? Nuke Lelouch when uh um uh God now you're gonna make me pull. 
characters' names. Kevin Costner. I know this name because he was always the guy that won the home. But he was teaching him how to answer questions. Yes, right? yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And he was he was telling he was telling Nuke that when he gets to the bigs, these are all the things he has to say. Exactly, and they work, and they were right. And she, but also is like, what can you say? You're both in a tough situation, and it, and it works. And she's good at it. And I, I just I give her kudos for that. I feel like it's her basketball background. Yeah. So you're so it's it's kind of the polar opposite of Carolyn Manny. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Who's going to tell you exactly what she's thinking? Yeah. All right. I think we did it. Did we do it? I mean, we more than did it. We uh, we'll tighten this up. We overdid. I it? think this just shows yeah. how excited we're back. You know, yeah, we are to be lots back. Of uh, that we went way over the usual amount it's of time right. it's we the allowed first... ourselves. I I think it's, it's the first allowed. One. It's the first one. We'll get it down tighter. We will. We'll, we'll be back next week, and we have uh, Rochester, Rochester Cyclocross. It, it's 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 going to be some good racing. We got a lot of Canadians that are going to be up there racing. We got some of our gravel racers who are going to be out there racing. I think that this was a great weekend at Go Cross, and I think it just builds from here. So really, really looking forward to that one. And uh, we uh, make sure to subscribe to the CX Hairs Bulletin. You can go to cxhairs.substack.com. That'll get you. You can go back, read all of the race reports that Zach has done. I think a lot of what we discussed here exuberantly gave some stories, but he is very concise and tells good stories in there and really gives you what happened in these races. And it's a good counterpart to watching what happened on, on the coverage. So cxhairs.substack.com and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>